Welcome to a special anniversary edition of the Grappling Arts Podcast. I'm your host, Sam West. On this episode, which marks three years of the Resurgence Project, Claire and I are joined by our fellow co-founder, John Kirby, for a look back at how our collaboration began. We explored the very first event, which was part of the Being Human Festival of Humanities Research in 2017, and we also recall some of our standout memories from the last three years. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you do, please subscribe and please leave a review. Enjoy. Good thing. Hey, John, how are you doing? Good to hey, see yes. you. All right. Good. How's life treating you? Long time no see. Yeah, um, fine, really. I, I, can't, I can't complain at all. I, Good. Uh, still got a job, you know. <laughs> My family have been largely unaffected by everything. Oh, good. Just Great. Um, uh, described it to some work colleagues the other days. It just feels like we're in a waiting room mm. like, for the whole year. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I know. It is a little like that. I'm trying to make, really make the most of this time and like do projects and... and um, and I've not been, I've not been entirely like unsuccessful in that sort of thing, but I think there were just tight, like, I, I really now feel like I want Christmas and a bit of a rest, I have to say, but yeah, um, but yeah it's kind of, yeah, it's trying to, it's trying to keep using every day um, well, not just sort of look, not just have that kind of future look, if you know what I mean, like, it's yeah, it's, yeah, it's a challenge, isn't it? Hi, Sam. Hi. You all right? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, we're recording already. So. <laughs> In typical grappling art style, we have our kind of the, yeah. the preamble stays. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you think of that, John. I, I'm always a bit when I include it because it's really hard to to be like, this is where the podcast starts. Yeah. So I've just no. taken to like, we'll just press record and then, yeah. Yeah. I, li- I like it because it makes it a bit more human and when you have got things where it's like um like uh gene who was uh, it appeared to be changing his clothes at the same time as making his dinner yeah uh-huh. that's exactly <laughs> what happened it was so funny like he just he made an entire meal and got changed during like, the podcast brilliant if, you know if you're not gonna if you can't give your, your podcast that like kind of in the studio feel you might as well make it as, as human as you can and, and yeah yeah works really nicely i think good <laughs> they've been fun anyway <laughs> yeah it's been really good actually the last two has, have been really good i mean they've all been really good but I've been, i particularly enjoyed um spike yeah yeah it was that great was really good mm. he's very um he he kept he was he was asking me whether whether he was too um, what was the word whether he was waffling too much. But uh, whilst he did talk for quite a while in responses, it was all like really clear and um, yeah. No, I didn't. I didn't. I you know I have I have a waffle meter in my head where I'm like shh, and that didn't come on at all when I was talking to Spike. Like it was really good. Cool. Sorry, I am just following the end of the cricket at the same time as well. <laughs> Good for you. I will turn it off now. <laughs> Who's playing? 
Uh, it's uh, the Sydney Thunder and the Brisbane Heat in the women's uh, BBL semi-final. Oh. And uh, Tammy Beaumont plays for the Sydney Thunder, who um, goes to Loughborough University. She's a lightning player, there. yeah. She's a lightning player, but she she grew up really close to um, to where I'm from. So yes. my be- my best friend Stuart used to be um, in the Kent Academy and has played against her a few times and oh. talks about how great she is. Well, that's one of the things I've missed the most this year. Like. Last year and the year before, we went to like loads of lightning matches because it's just the nicest thing. You get to sit there on a deck chair and normal, like the weather always seems lovely. I'm sure it's not true, but the weather always <laughs> seemed good and um, you just get to watch really good quality women's cricket. And it was, it was so nice. I think that's one of the kind of, yeah, I'd say maybe like top five things that I've missed this year is like going to watch the cricket at Loughborough. It became such an important part of our lives. But hey ho, next year. Yeah, fingers crossed for next year. <laughs> I think um, on the subject of hopes for the, hopes for the future is where you wanted to start, wasn't it? I, mean, I think we've covered it, haven't we? We, we just want the cricket <laughs> to come back. <laughs> cricket, please. <laughs> yeah. So do you want to see, as you decided that this is what we were going to start with, I think you should start with your hopes for the future, John. Yeah, I mean, I mean, my, my hope, uh, I, I think, I was talking to someone about this yesterday. I feel like we've we've gone through a period of time of thinking that we might be able to adapt to a new normal, mm-hmm. and now the feeling seems to be um, when will things get back to normal? Everything that's driven with my work in particular is like how do we get back to that kind of regular form of programming? And just. Um, uh, hopeful that we can do something (laughs) next year that feels I know that I think a lot of um, companies will have kind of different jumping off points if you like of when they feel it's safe to do something and I think you know we'll we'll be driven by by what we feel is safe for for our team and you know our our audiences and, and wrestlers and hopefully we get to a point next year where we can do something. I think one of the the questions on the, the that was sent through on the Twitter was, are you going to do the, uh, the Iron Women tournament? And just say, like, yeah, I mean, that's an, an idea in, in the bank, but at the moment I'd be just as happy to do a show. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think it's got to a stage where because of the, whilst I think it's wrong to put too much hope in the in the vaccine stuff like in terms of like an immediate solution it does feel like a corner is being turned in terms of like you can imagine a way back with like rapid testing potentially a a vaccine um potentially some lifting of, of, of restrictions based on those two things so yeah maybe I don't know I'm kind of like it's got to that stage where it's like um part of me is just well why not just wait until you can do the show without any restrictions yeah do you know what i mean like i can't imagine going to a wrestling show and sitting an indie wrestling show and sitting in a socially distanced audience just kind of really doesn't appeal to me on any level yeah yeah i was watching um i mean you know i don't like watch a lot of wrestling but i was watching uh Aaliyah james versus clementine from the from the london lucha league this morning 
mm. and just looking at that venue and thinking like yeah different different time i'd be much more comfortable watching it at home than i would be um live and i yeah i don't know when when that's going to switch for me yeah yeah i would say the same um i can't quite imagine it at the moment but um i'm sure it will come back i think like my one of my kind of hopes for the future kind of comes out of everything that happened during the summer as well and that like um going to your point john about kind of getting getting quote unquote kind of back to normal and i feel like in wrestling um there has been a reckoning and i my i think one of my hopes is that that reckoning will work itself out like in the ring and in companies and in training schools and that people will there will be a kind of more ethical way of being involved in the community and that, that will be taken seriously. It won't just be like, oh, now we can get back to doing shows. Let's just kind of get back and ignore everything that we kind of learned last summer. So I think that's one of my kind of big hopes really that that all that came out over the summer and people's response to it and um, all that sort of thing, that it would be, um, yeah, that it would, that, that, that it would actually be a proper reckoning and that people would start to take that more seriously, I suppose, um, would, be, would be my kind of, Hope, which is yeah so i suppose it's, it's a yeah it's maybe slightly kind of depressing hope but but i think i think my my point like i'm hoping that it feels like it's, there is a kind of hopeful hope if that makes sense uh yeah that, yeah. Uh, yeah um i don't know my hope for the future would be just just getting back to to actually like you know like running shows in the right way um i think there's like i agree with what you said claire like I have general hopes for the scene as a whole that it comes back better. And then I have kind of personal hopes in terms of resurgence coming back and just um, feel like um, things like this podcast and as probably regular listeners, listeners to this are aware, like I'm doing the PhD and I feel like I've learned a lot from doing both those things since shows have stopped. And there's a lot of stuff that I'd be interested. I think my, I think my approach to, to wrestling booking, storytelling event running will be very very different when it does come back because of precisely those two things what i've learned and also what's happened over the summer yeah um so i think it's going to be interesting i'm I'm kind of excited to to get back because i feel like it will be a very different experience in a good way to Mm. to to how it was before Mm. Um, cool yeah cool um is that is that sufficient future discussion john yeah that gives me hope for the next couple of hours at least <laughs> <laughs> okay so obviously the purpose of uh, of this episode is to just uh, to look back really rather than look forward well look back and look forward um to to how it all began and it's three years since the being human festival i think it was was three years last thursday was it mm. yeah yeah exactly. three three years uh last thursday and almost just over four years since we first emailed claire and was like hi <laughs> we've seen your book we want to do something did you knowing you knowing you well did you go back and find that email yeah i mean you know i keep everything <laughs> Yeah, there was some ni- there was some nice little bits in it. Even um, Claire saying, "Oh, I've talked to one of my students, Joe, who's really interested right. in, the pro- in the project." Um, and obviously, I knew Joe through fourteen forty eight festival, uh, and yeah, to to where he is now. So it was like even like little things like that where you see it in an email. And you're like, oh, I'm, 
I'm glad that's there because you can kind of, for us anyway, kind of see that um, like little story for him on having a first conversation with you, Claire, about it and then commentating on the shows now, which is really nice. Yeah, I totally remember those conversations because like Joe at the time was like, yeah, and Alyssa's might not really kind of, kind of grasses, but like Joe was like, a, was an undergraduate student at De Montford where I was at the time and I was supervising his dissertation on pro wrestling and um and i remember like having long conversations with him about like how he might like go into this or transfer and then like obviously you guys got in touch and i was immediately kind of thought oh joe and then of course you already knew joe so it was just such a kind of strange connecting point between all of us it was yeah it was really nice yeah it's cool yeah like so being human is it's that first show history and resurgence being human festival. I think we've kind of talked about it in different places. We've talked about it a little bit, I think on various podcasts podcasts, and we've sort of alluded to the origins of resurgence as a company as being rooted in that, that event and that festival. But we, I don't think we've ever really spoken in a huge amount of detail about that event um, on any kind of podcast or in any writing or anything like that. So it would be interesting, I think for, listeners to to get a bit more kind of insight into that origin story because it is i think unique within wrestling um and what it was all kind of rooted in so like john said um the 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 spark i guess was uh, claire's book the routledge um edited volume on professional wrestling and performance um so maybe if we start there like claire if you could just give a a brief background about how you know that that book coming together and um yeah things like that um so that yeah it was kind of an interesting one really so that book came about um it kind of had a maybe like a three-year gestation period so um i was interested in pro wrestling as a fan by that point um and then i met broderick who at that point uh, was kind of doing some broderick chow that is his co-editor on the book so i should totally make that clearer um so, so yeah, he was doing some performance work at the time, like really interesting stuff with a, a collaborator where he thought about like work, like office work, but did, did it in a kind of wrestling uh, performance. It was extremely cool. I saw it live and thought it was brilliant. And so I got in touch with him and he already knew Eero a bit. So then I met Eero at a conference, Eero Lane, who is the other co-editor. And the three of us just started talking really about uh, what we might do about this um, you know it felt like there'd been a long period of time without any kind of substantial scholarly work on wrestling although there were bits and pieces but like just real, like it'd been it'd been a while like the last kind of significant edited collection was like back in like 2002 I think still chair to the head so like a long time ago and we really felt like there was an opportunity to kind of um, to to to, to kind of bring that back together again and we um, we met at we kind of met in person at a conference in Warwick and we met with the guys at Routledge um, who were just like incredibly positive about, we were kind of quite taken aback by it really because we thought they would be like a book about what? No, absolutely not. And Ben at Routledge was like, this is super cool. And he's also a wrestling fan. So, um, so it all just sort of came together and we did an open call. And then there were a bunch of people who responded to that. And we ended up with a really amazing book, which, um, you know, which was all to do with the contributors and really we were just quite fortunate to work with them and which kind of unpacked wrestling in a whole range of different kind of theoretical ways around performance. So it has sections on 
gender performance and pain and um and race and ethnicity and audiences and all sorts of things so it's all it was kind of to try and spark conversation really about how we might understand wrestling through through performance art uh, and so that came out in 2016 and it's still like a book I'm, I'm kind of pretty proud of actually that it came together and and I, I you know I working with Broderick and Eero was just a, a total joy like um with such kind of wonderful collaboration and um, and I think kind of started me thinking a little bit about how that might be taken forward in a scholarly sense but also like in the then you guys approached me and 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 so we started to think about it in a more kind of practice-based sense I guess. Yeah so like then from the other side um John and I were both employed at Attenborough Arts Centre at the time John obviously managing the theatre programme and myself managing the exhibitions programme from a kind of curatorial standpoint. So we both had kind of parallel roles in different disciplines or different aspects of the programme at Attenborough Arts Centre. And one of the things, um, certainly as a curator, one of the ways that I've always worked is that often curatorial projects come out of academic research or they come out of theory and writing on different subjects so like volumes that have a kind of theme will often become trigger points for exhibitions and things like that like that's you know fairly kind of common practice in terms of contemporary art and curatorial work and i think it's the same in theater as well like there's obviously there are ties between you know academic academia and theater work from a from a kind of practical perspective so when when that book came to our attention you for me automatically you think oh wow these this, this book's full of great ideas about wrestling and immediately that triggers ideas about oh that could be an exhibition i could already see you know ways in which this could relate to artistic practice or things like that um so like yeah as soon as you have a book like that it almost it almost permits you to start thinking to take that kind of leap and start thinking about oh well what 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 would happen if these ideas in this book were manifest in a kind of physical form through artwork, through exhibition, through performance, that type of thing. So, the, so the, I think the, the, the role of the book really was quite pivotal. Like without that, obviously we wouldn't, wouldn't have met, but also I don't think we'd have had the, the foundations to start thinking about wrestling in different ways or in this type of way. If that makes, does that make sense? So, um, so yeah, so then, we're also the other, and I think the other factor was at Attenborough, John and I had relative freedom over, over what we could pursue and what we were allowed to, to do, really. Um, the, the exhibitions program that I was managing was, was mostly my kind of ideas um, and mostly driven by my kind of um, interests, I guess. And, and I think likewise, John, you, your approach to programming, certainly you, you can see kind of flavors of your interests in the Attenborough theater program at the time and, and to this day. Um, but I don't think our organization maybe anticipated that the wrestling would be, would be one of those. Yeah. I, I think, I think like we've, we've always thought that wrestling was something that belonged in a performing arts program, but we probably weren't um, able to articulate why we thought it should be that way. And so Claire's, book helped immensely <laughs> in just helping to you know um, inform others of, of kind of where we were coming from I guess. Yeah there was definitely a um, <laughs> there's, there's definitely like because we as fa I should have probably explained that both me and John were fans like you know and we would talk about wrestling when we in the office um, we talk mostly about kind of WWE I think I would try and persuade John maybe to come to like indie shows every now and then um, but 
having then suddenly having a you know a Routledge publication that you could take to your uh, boss, your directors, and say, well, you know, there's this uh, great book about academic book about professional wrestling, and um, it just so happens that the, one of the editors lives uh, works in Leicester at De Montfort University, and obviously, like one of the ways in which you work in an organisation like Attenborough Arts Centre, which is connected to University of Leicester, is you, you know there's certain things that if you if you bring into a conversation when you approach your boss, your director, um, that will spark their interest or satisfy certain maybe criteria that they'll be looking for. So like Claire working at DMU, um, working on the drama and performance programme. So you've got students, you've got academic kind of rigour, um, you know, it ticks a lot of boxes and it adds a lot of weight to, well, we're going to run a wrestling show. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> yeah, and the, well, there, there was an element of go and get it out of your system as well, wasn't there? There was that, like, Sam and, Sam and John's weird wrestling interest. Yeah, go pursue it a little bit and get it out of your system. Yeah, and I think That's also... Like though... going for you, John, are you still getting out of your system? Or, like, <laughs> three years later? <laughs> uh, it, well, uh, I mean, it, it's kind of gone... Full, well, full circle now, isn't it? In that I think people at Attenborough appreciate how it works in the programme and how it brings new people into the building. So I think that the people, like, from the, a team perspective, are much more on board with, with why it should be part of the, the programme now, which is terrific. Um, so to, 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 to go from that point, there's a, we had this, these early conversations, as, as John mentioned, there was a, you know, an email, a meeting was set up, um, and I, from my recollections of those meetings, it was fairly kind of broad. I think we, we ended up talking about wrestling as fans for quite a while, which was kind of inevitable. Um, but we did kind of end on a, it would be cool to do something, but we're not entirely sure what. Um, let's stay in touch. And I think um, in a really good way, um, I think, Claire, you came back to us like a few months later. I think it, it was a little bit of time, I think, that went by. Hmm. And that, but you pitched the you found the being human thing and and pitched it. I think it was that way around. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So like, so I think so. So also involved in this at this early stage was Ben. So Ben Littleland, who um, has gone on to kind of write a wonderful book on wrestling in Britain, and he was sort of part of those early conversations as well. And because you kind of want as many kind of academic voices as you can, especially if you want to talk about wrestling at a humanities festival. Um, and and that so I think it was kind of the the, the tour. I, I as I recall, the kind of two of us that went this would be cool. And I said, I got, I, I, I know these guys who I think we could, we could do it if we put it all together. And, um, and yes, yeah, so I think that was, it, it was, that's, it was that approach. So yeah, I think I sort of said, you know, we could apply for a little grant to do, to do this. We could get some money to put on a wrestling show, not actually thinking we would ever get money to put on a wrestling show. I have to say, like, I think it was one of the most speculative grants I've ever applied for. Like really did not think they would go for it. So Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so the premise for what we pitched for Being Human Festival, the theme for that year's Being Human Festival, and actually I should just explain what Being Human Festival is. So it's a festival of um, arts and humanities research, which aims to engage the general public in um, academic research. So the real, the, the crux of it is um, it's rooted in scholarship, but it's about engaging the public in that scholarship. And it's uh, nationwide, um, multiple universities take part, part every year. And they fund upward of 100 events, I think, isn't it? It's maybe more than that. Um, the grants are, are very small. Um, so typically, I think around £1,000 is allocated to each project. Um, 
and yeah they take place normally in, in universities but often uh, they take place in art venues as well because there's a, as I've sort of alluded to there's a kind of natural synergy often between arts venues and universities um, so the theme for that year was lost and found and our pitch was around this idea of British wrestling being something that was incredibly popular during the, you know, from the 50s right through until the 1980s, um, particularly in the 70s and 80s on, on ITV World of Sport, where it's watched by millions and millions of people. Um, and then suddenly when ITV dropped uh, British wrestling in the late 1980s, it just dropped off the kind of surf, the, the face of mainstream culture. Um, and at the time, um, when we were writing this funding application, uh, British independent wrestling was on the rise. It was just around the time of the WWE um, UK Championship Tournament. Um, it was kind of a moment where Progress Wrestling in particular, um, ICW, RevPro, the kind of big British wrestling independent companies were, were getting quite a lot of mainstream wrestling attention. There was a, a generation of wrestlers that were you know, going to America, going to Japan and doing very well. And there were a lot of eyes on the UK independent scene. So this, the, the, the premise of our, our bid to being Human Festival was this um, wrestling history that was, was lost in the late 1980s and then rediscovered in the um, late 2000, well, 2015, 2016, 2017. Um, so our, our title was History and Resurgence. And that's also where the name Wrestling Resurgence came from. Um, so yeah, and so our, yeah, our bid was to um, put on a live wrestling show and then have a Q and A afterwards, in which Ben and Claire would would ask the uh, the wrestlers questions based on their kind of research interests. Um, uh, John, do you want to do you want to take it from there into from a? I mean, definitely the first wrestling show to have a Q and A at the end, right? Yeah. I mean, we do a few firsts, but that's definitely the first first I think we ever did was, yeah. was a, a surprise to some people who were probably coming and, and had regularly been to the wrestling shows in the past and then were put with a Q&A in front of them at the end. But yeah, like, um, I mean, I, I remember, um, I think it, I think because the bid came to us shortly after the, the talk at DMU during mm. um, during their their festival, um, and I remember um, you, Sam, um, me, and Jody talking about the project um, in the staff canteen um, when we originally it kind of dawned on us that we had to put a wrestling show <laughs> together with no knowledge at all of how to do that, and Jody was just like, "Oh, Charles," and Charles was like. Uh, sat on a on a table um opposite us and i kind of uh i, I knew charles but didn't really know him to talk to him or you know you, you kind of smile and nod at him but not not maybe have a conversation with him it was like oh charles is a is a referee um you should have a chat with him and that kind of sparked off like the first beginnings of of thinking like we we were going to be able to put something together um i remember um because charles then put us in touch with the henchman and that's kind of how that relationship developed for the first show um and then i remember really clearly really clearly me and you being sat together in the office going and now how exactly do we go about contacting talent you know how do we find the, those those contacts of, of who to bring in that we want to be on the show. 
I remember that that meeting that we had that that first meeting with all of us um in in De Montford staff common room do you remember like because I, I you know people won't know about this but it's like it's, it's quite a strange space because it's been transformed into kind of like an old school Oxbridge mm. common room like it's all wood and like high back chairs and stuff and we were sitting around in there going like man we totally have to put on a wrestling show like what does anyone know any wrestlers <laughs> like it was yeah. like that it was just hilarious like I think for me like that moment has really kind of set me up well for thinking about risk taking like I think before that that moment in my career I'd been quite I've been very risk averse I think in my research and in the way I'd approach things and I'm still a relatively risk averse person it has to be said but that you know when we applied for that grant we had no idea how to put a wrestling show together and like even when we got the money like everything just happened by meeting the next person and doing this and then I think like I'd invited Wes to be part of it so like so, so Andrew Westside, Wes, like, and I used to work together at the University of Lincoln, like, forever ago. And we used to have conversations all the time about wrestling. And, like, we used to do this, like, thing whenever we met in the corridor where we'd always, like, do some kind of crazy wrestling move on each other, like, as we were walking past. And we did this for years, like, in years and years and years. And then I moved to Montford and he was at Lincoln. And then when this money came through, I was like, oh, it'd be cool to get Wes involved in this in some way, like, just because... We'd know, I'd known him for such a long time because I knew he was a wrestling fan and kind of figured that he would do that job amazingly, which it turned out he totally does do the ring announcer job amazingly, as expected. Um, and I, so it's kind of, so for me, it's like such an interesting kind of collection of people from all different different moments in, in all of our respective careers that kind of came yeah. together at this one moment to create this. I think um, Wes was originally with us because we were talking about a workshop element to the yeah, day yeah, right. as well. Yeah. And then when we were going through the, the list of everything that we didn't have for the evening, one of them was ring announcer and Wes yeah. was just like, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I can do that. I'll do it. And it's just like, yeah, well, of course you can. Go, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do remember because um, I think, Claire, you had probably... I'm not going to say that we that we we all had any anyone had more riding on it than anyone else, but I do remember obviously that the grant was all in your name, the, fun, the, the funding was all going to you at De Montfort University. So there was this kind of like stack of you you had a certain level of responsibility, and then we I I, I mean I I know John's kind of probably similar to you. He's quite risk averse, whereas I'm not. I'm kind of completely opposite. Where I'll, um. To, to, to the point of being a fault almost that I'll be like, oh yeah, we can do that. It'll be fine. <laughs> It'll work out or whatever. So yeah. I yeah. think having that balance is really good. I was, I was extremely nervous in the lead up to this first show, like um, about, about almost everything you could think about. I was nervous about it. So um, yeah. So actually it's quite nice to, I think it's one of the things that actually that's made resurgence work so well is that it's such a kind of interesting collection of characters, all of whom kind of cover each other's strengths and faults like really well. I, I think that's one of the kind of great greatest things really about this collaboration for me. Yeah, I remember not not being necessarily nervous because it felt like if it works, then it's great. And if it doesn't, then at least we've tried it. Um, until um, being human, it, it felt like they really started taking an interest in the in the the event as well so I remember like we we were a f we were, I think we were like the inside front cover yeah of, of their brochure with, with an image 
Um, I had to go and launch it. I had to be part of the launch yeah, event. You like, were part of the launch. With like Big Daddy. It's ridiculous. Like they, everyone they, else was talking about such serious stuff. And I was like, so wrestling. And like, just felt, I mean, Sarah Churchwell, who heads up um, being human, was like so supportive. She was amazing. And the whole team actually at being human were absolutely fantastic. It was yeah. so great. But I was, yeah, just, it, it became a much bigger thing than I think we'd any of us had initially kind of imagined in that festival. There was like from the launch, there was that video as well, which was about the things that were discussed. And there was like this whole wrestling animation in it. And then it turned out that I think one of the, the team from, from Being Human was coming up to yep. see the show as well. And that's kind of when, <laughs> when my nerves started kicking <laughs> in. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So then to talk into the actual um, first event and it all starting to come together, um, I remember, yeah, Charles gave us a kind of, Charles, who's obviously a resurgence referee, kind of gave us a, a foundation in, in that he introduced us to the henchman tag team, who also, um, Jim from the henchman owns a ring. So we had a kind of ring, we had some guys that we knew could set up the ring, we had the costs for the ring, and we had a tag team as well. So we had our first set of wrestlers. And, um, and then our, after we had all of those things, we lost the referee because Charles remembered that he had tickets for Depeche Mode on that evening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, but then I've, but they but then uh, I think hen- the henchman said they could provide a referee, so that was uh, <laughs> that was that averted. But then obviously we had more we had more slots to fill, and we were I do remember and. I don't know whether I'm placing too much emphasis on it, but I do remember thinking, starting to think about booking quite early as more than let's just book some wrestlers. Like I remember the the history and resurgence title that we gave the project, the lost and found theme. Um, that was definitely something that we discussed in relation to who we were going to book. And because Charles has set us up with the henchmen who, and I don't think they'll take offense at this, but are kind of a throwback tag team in a way. They have a, a kind of old school style they're two big big dudes they look very british so and they and they work a lot of camp shows particularly jim's got a real background in in working camp shows and things like that so i think that sort of triggered an idea of um well for some of the matches at least let's let's play around with this you know younger wrestlers older wrestlers kind of thing um and i think maybe jetta was another one who charles had, had pitched and yeah. Who, who, who was friends with the henchman and was kind of on board quite early. So, so that became, well, let's pair Jetta with Millie McKenzie, who was someone who had just, was just breaking into the scene. Um, I'd, see, young I'd seen her that summer at, um, I'd seen her that summer at a Hope show. And so it was, I think even early on in that card, you could see some of the ideas that, that have become, I, I feel that have become quite interesting about resurgence was that there was a, a way of thinking about not just, um, not just things like the Q and A, or ju- not just the kind of themes of the project, but also how can how can wrestling itself actually start to reflect some of those themes? Um, but we, all, but at that point, we had so Charles provided provided us with Jetta and the henchman, but we had other wrestlers. We needed other slots. And I remember s- sitting around, and um, one of the big questions was how much does a wrestler cost? And without <laughs> without wanting to like divulge how much wrestlers cost. We had no idea whatsoever. Um, and I remember over the summer, I think late that summer, and when all of this was all underway, I think we'd already had the henchmen agreed and stuff like that. I was at a show in Cologne with Pete and we met Chuck Mambo after that show. It was a progress show in, in Cologne. And I remember talking to Chuck Mambo 
who was one of one of my kind of favorites from the indies already and i told him about the project and um i was like just out of interest how much would you charge for a wrestling show um and he told and he told me and i was like oh right i was kind of surprised um because it wasn't as high as i was going to i was expecting it to be so i think when i came back i said to john well let, you know let's draw up a list who are we going to try if if, if chuck mambo is roughly this this price um maybe we can afford to actually approach names that we know from the from the indie scene rather than um shopping not not a lower market but like you know going out and finding names who are really quite popular at the time so i think haskins was probably the was it or maybe flash morgan webster was the first one that we approached yeah because we'd spoken to, to flash a little bit about what our ideas were for the for the project weren't we and he was very um complimentary to start off with about what we wanted to put together and where we were coming from yeah and then flat and flash couldn't do the show um chuck chuck mambo couldn't do the show either um, and next on the list, I think, was was uh, Mastiff, Dave Mastiff. So we're like, oh, well, you know, Dave Mastiff's a big name, staple of the indie scene. Let's just see how much he costs. And got 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 a pos- really positive response, um, and a really positive um, price as well in relation to our <laughs> fairly meagre budget that we had at the time. Um, and then it was like, oh, well, if we can get if we can get Dave Mastiff for this price, let's. Who, who do we go to next? And that's how the Has- Haskins-Bastiff match came about, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, which, and and was, a, and was quite, I think, a, a really key moment because it, it showed, and, and a key moment I mean in terms of whatever, everything that came after it, because it kind of showed what was possible mm. in relation to a fairly modest budget. In, and I say modest budget in terms of like other equivalent art events. I don't mean yeah. in terms of wrestling. Um, so it certainly it started to quite early on be like, well, if we're managing to pull together this show, which feels like a good show, like Haskins, Mastiff, two very, very, very highly trained professional athletes, and we can afford to do that as part of this small arts project. Um, yeah, I think I think early on you could start to see the, the possibilities um, open up. Um, then just to so uh, Claire, do you want to talk? Just a little bit before we move on about the actual night itself and just give us some reflections on your experience of the night itself. I remember being extraordinarily nervous, um, like really, really nervous. And I feel like it probably comes, yeah, anyways, I feel like it probably comes across, like even in the, even in the still images, I'm like sort of grabbing hold of the microphone. Cause I was like, because of obviously, this, as you rightly say, this money had come through me and I've been kind of the academic driving force behind it. It meant that we were like, oh yeah, you could you could start the show, Claire, and just like in, like say hi to everyone because we wanted to sort of set it up as being an academic project, not just a wrestling show. And I remember being really nervous, and I remember practicing. Wes and I spent a lot of time practicing getting into the ring because it's seriously a lot harder than it looks. Like wrestlers make that look so easy; they just get straight into the ring, and it's it's actually really really hard. And you end up falling over like quite a lot. And I was aware that I wanted to kind of wear some semblance of heels that night and I was like oh this is going to be terrible I'm just going to fall flat on my face so I remember being very nervous just about that kind of walking in and knowing how that how and how that might feel um and then um I I remember us talking I, I don't do you want me to go into the Haskins thing as well Sam okay so I remember talking to we had a kind of conversation with with Mark Haskins beforehand, and um, and I think one I can't remember probably both of you have sort of said, oh well Claire's going to be in the ring. You should come out and just introduce and kind of interrupt her. And I was like, oh my goodness, like this is going to be the coolest. And um, 
and but also being like insanely nervous about it and I remember being in the ring and sort of starting off and saying, you know, welcome to this Being Human Festival event. I'm really glad you're here and kind of just doing a kind of academic kind of introduction. And he comes out and just like basically kind of tears us apart. Like <laughs> it was absolutely brutal. He was like kind of slagging me for being a doctor, like a, a not helpful doctor, but a doctor. It was just hilarious. And of course, I like my background is in performance and acting. So I'm like trying to go back to all that and kind of get some acting chops going. And it just... I, I, I honestly rank it as being one of the most exciting and terrifying moments of my whole life. <laughs> like being called out by Mark Haskins in the ring on our first show. Still, and I still have it, like you said, you tweeted out the other day, but like, it's still my Twitter banner. It's still like <laughs> Mark Haskins, like looking like he's really intensely like, kind of going at it and me being like, whoa, buddy. Like, it's just, yeah, it still ranks among kind of top moments. And I think after that, I kind of, I say calm down a bit. I kind of relaxed into it a little bit and just really, really enjoyed the night and was like, I can't believe that we pulled this off. But I think that first bit for me just is all racked with nerves. Like I can just remember it feeling incredibly nervous about the whole thing. Mm. Uh, John, as someone who um, over, oversees the performance program at Attenborough, what were your, what are your reflections on, on the start of the show and particularly like the audience and thinking about, you know, who was going to be in the audience, what their reaction was going to be, that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, I, I was worried about um, who was in the audience because I know that we'd, we'd invited a lot of people to come. So there was a lot of people who were friends of ours, but sceptical of, of wrestling. So there, there was that kind of going on um, because it was a free event. Um, although like you, you allocate every ticket, you're never quite sure on the night how many of those people are going to turn up. So it wasn't until the space started really filling out that it felt like um, it was going to be, uh, that was like a, a first hurdle, if you like, for the evening of making sure that people were happy to, to come and to do it. Um, and then obviously we had the whole thing with, with Haskins turning up quite uh, close to the start time of the show, which was nervy for us. Um, and I remember as well, um, and you, for anyone who doesn't know, I usually have quite a panic before every show, no matter how comfortable we seem to get with putting shows on. <clears throat> and I remember at the time um, not knowing whether um, the wrestlers would come with their own suggested entrance music or whether it was something that we were expected to, to lead on. So I'd kind of made my own little small playlist as well, just in case we needed them for each wrestler. Um, and just, yeah, being, being really kind of super nervous until it started. And then as soon as it started, it was like, it, it kind of felt like it was out of our hands then because it was down to um, the, the wrestlers to put on the performance and the, and the crowd to decide whether they wanted to get into it or not. Um, and then everything from there is kind of a blur until about halfway through the second match, the, the tag match, um, kind of talk, trying to talk to, to you, Sam, and to Wes about how quickly the whole thing was going, because I think we'd said that the show was going to be an hour long, but everyone was enjoying themselves and it felt like something where we wanted to keep people in the space for a bit longer. So we just decided that we were going to take um, a, a break 
so everyone could grab a drink and and talk about it and come back and that was nice because i think as soon as we had that break before the the final um, match of the night we then had people coming up to us those skeptical friends saying oh uh, i completely get it now and and have completely got it to the point where um they've started coming back to, to future shows as well great um my yeah so my reflections maybe to to move us on to to where we went afterwards was um i, I kind of remember a lot about the end and i, I remember feeling like just exhilarated by the whole experience as someone who I've, I've kind of already alluded to that my professional backgrounds in curatorial exhibitions which builds towards a crescendo but over a number of weeks essentially whereas this was my first experience of running a live event of, of this kind of scale and it was the adrenaline really like hit me I was like you know this is this is very different to having weeks of a build and then finishing on something and um feeling just exhausted as well but and then driving back with um pete who came to the show who pete is the kind of one of the co-owners of resurgence now and had come just as a mate to what to watch it and is someone that i'd attended indie shows with um he i remember pete being blown away that we'd booked mark haskins and uh dave mastiff that it was like possible that you could do that um and then already on the way back having having conversations like so you know we should do this again like how how would we do this again what would be the kind of feasibility of doing it again and that was definitely almost straight away i think as soon as the bell rang for the first match i was like yeah i want to do this again like as soon as possible Um, and and already thinking about well if we if we're going to do it again let's do this differently let's do this differently um and yeah things already things like we had it was a very strange lighting configuration. I remember from the show. If if you actually if if listeners see the photos from that first show, everything is bathed in a kind of pink light, which gives it a very sort of surreal quality to it. Um, the ring was front facing the audience, so there weren't there wasn't an audience around the ring. The, the audience were front onto the ring. So all these kind of like you know brilliant, enjoyable things, and then also things where I'm like, oh wow, uh, you know what what. You know, if we were going to do it again, what would we do? How would we do this? How would we do this? Who would we work with? Um, and and wrestlers as well. Straight away afterwards, I remember talking to Jetta. I remember talking to to Mastiff and and Haskin, saying, "Oh, you when, when you when you, have you got a show coming up next?" Then and, and stuff like that. And I'm like, this has taken like everything just to put this one show on, and already they're like, "Oh, have you got any more dates like <laughs> lined up and things like that?" Um, and then and also the, that experience of working with those wrestlers, and this is something that we've, we've mentioned in previous podcasts, but there was a real, it, yeah, the, the interactions with the wrestlers were really positive. And that definitely, I think, helped in, ingratiate us towards like that, that you know, wanting to, to do it again and things like that. Yeah, I think the, the Haskin, the, like, the, the surprise around having Haskins on the show came from... Um, you, you, me, and Pete had gone to a progress show at the Alley Pally like two months before and had seen him like in that space with so many people there. And then we were going into Attenborough Art Centre where there was like 90 people in the space. It, it, it felt like it didn't match up uh, in any way. But I remember, <clears throat> I remember you coming up to me straight after the show saying, I want to do that again, like now. 
<laughs> yeah, definitely not addicted. <laughs> um yeah, I think that to, to to bring this section of the of the recording to conclusion, um I just wanna because John, you spoke a little bit about the, the reactions and things like that. Claire, what was your kind of um experience in terms of people's reactions particularly in sort of academia and things like that yeah I think um I mean wrestling and academia has always had kind of an interesting relationship anyways and I think at that point for me wrestling scholarship was still the thing I did on the side on those you know I I work on experimental kind of avant-garde modernist theatre of the early 20th century like that's my that's my PhD background that's my scholarly background um so I think for me it still felt like it was um kind of the stuff that I did on days I just didn't really fancy doing that so so but but then I think that show uh you know that it it kind of coincided with a point in academic life where we were being encouraged to think more about our our, the impact of our work and actually thinking about like Russian theatre from 1920s is all very well and good and, and very interesting, but it's actually quite difficult to transform that into some sort of like impacting on contemporary society sort of work. And I began to realise actually wrestling was sort of where that part of my career was at. And that show for me was very confirming that people were actually interested in what you know, in what we might do as a, as a, as a kind of little collective around wrestling, like actually we, we, we might, yeah, you know, this, this was an academic project and it kind of connected with people. And we did some surveys afterwards. I've still, I've still got those in a drawer at work actually. And like, um, and they were anonymous by the way, for the listeners amongst us who are worried about GDPR, <laughs> GDPR stuff. But, um, but that sense of like, I, I look through them, people going, Oh, I never realized that wrestling was like this. And now I, so, so I, I began to sort of see people's like behavior change, which is always what the key thing around kind of wrestling uh, around academic impact. And so, yeah, like, I think, um, I think people responded, my, I like my academic friends responded well to it. I think by that stage I was at De Montford in a very kind of performance driven, like drama read sort of department. So a lot of people were engaged in kind of practice based practice as research. And so I don't think it was, it was too weird really I think they kind of they kind of got it um and I think a lot of them came along and were like kind of bowled over by the way that it connected with their own practice so I think that really helps as well to kind of legitimize it so um yeah I, I still at that point was seeing it very much as kind of something that like wrestling is it's about scholarship all of it as something that I just kind of did a bit and as a bit of fun really um and I think that for me that was one of the kind of key moments that made me go oh hold on maybe this is something that I would actually want to kind of develop an academic career about like maybe this is more than I thought it was when I originally kind of set it up or kind of got thinking about it in the first place great and then you said that really nicely but as of someone who keeps everything on your twitter you put well this was the best (laughs) night ever letters <laughs> yeah you're absolutely right john you know scuffered by twitter so like the other thing that really came out that night is i just had a really good time <laughs> like i had such a good time like i was super nervous and it was all but like i i i think we got i got to the end of that show and was like i cannot believe that we pulled this off like i was i remember sort of lying in bed that night and just being like what did we what did we do? Like, and I've had a number of moments with, with research where I felt a bit like that, where suddenly I've gone, huh, how did a wrestling company come from this? Those sort of moments. But that was the first one where I was like, I actually can't believe that, that we did this and that, and that it didn't fall flat on its face and that it wasn't just like 
three people and no wrestlers, which is how I'd imagined it might be at some at some various points in that collaboration. So I think it was just exciting to think it had actually happened. Uh, yeah, it was a wicked night. It was really good. <laughs> You're absolutely right, John. <laughs> cool. So for the second half of this um, of this chat, for most of the second half of this chat, we're going to look at um, we've we've all sort of collectively the three of us have come up with um, ten kind of moments that we either memory mem uh, sort of remember fondly or that we have kind of um that have stood out for us really over the last three years and inevitably some of them grouped together into um around different shows and things like that so we've got a few of the sort of key landmark shows of resurgence that we'll talk about and then um some other just sort of, sort of general points and memories that we want to kind of go back over and share and hopefully they're things that um aren't necessarily obvious or they're things that we can talk into from our experience of being like backstage and bringing up stuff that um, fans of resurgence probably won't be aware of uh, and stuff like that um, so they're not in there's, there's no kind of hierarchy to these moments but i've sort of loosely put them chronologically um, and the first one that um, we kind of all seem to remember um, was the first kind of commercial show of Resurgence, which was Spandex Ballet in September of 2018. So this is just under a year after the Being Human show. And in between Being Human and this show, we presented another free academically funded event at Attenborough in May of that year, which was through DMU, who were awarded an innovation award. I think we got we won the innovation impact award for the whole university that year. Like that was that will always make me laugh inwardly to myself. I was like, what? I remember like having to go and pick up the award and having my photograph taken with the pro vice chancellor and being like, you do realise this project is about wrestling, don't you? And all the engineers sitting there looking like what. <laughs> What is going on? <laughs> uh, so yeah it makes me laugh that wrestling won an impact award but um kind of impacts in a different sense i think i guess so yeah there was some yeah. money attached to that so we put another show so why not yeah yeah and it's a really important show as well well it's actually you know in many ways as as important as that first show in that by that time we john pete and i had taken the decision that we wanted to try and make this into a a viable kind of business so that we would be able to run shows on a regular basis um, because obviously as we mentioned we enjoyed so much that first show so we, we had already begun starting to think about how can we make this um, economically viable so that we can have a platform to do this on a regular basis and that show that second show was really pivotal in that thinking because we'd already committed to to doing the spandex ballet show we actually advertised um the spandex ballet show at that may show um so quite a way off even because the spandex ballet was in september of that year and um and yeah so we'd taken that fairly big decision and we'd set the date we'd book Nottingham contemporary which was a significantly larger venue um, also a significantly more expensive venue um, based on the fact that Attenborough Centre we were getting for free and Nottingham Contemporary was significantly more money than free. Um, so, you know, we'd, we'd, we really had rolled the dice at that point. I think we'd taken quite a big gamble. John, Pete and I had put our own money money up against um, against that show. So, yeah, it was really important that that May show was successful. Um, and it was. And again, it affirmed, I think, a lot of our 
belief in what resurgence could be. It was the first film show that we filmed. We put a little bit of extra money in on top of the grant to film the show um, so that we would have material to market the, the September show. We again explored, um, I, I think we explored in, in, in probably a more defined way, this idea of booking, as, as, uh, booking wrestling shows as being something that could speak to a certain theme um, so character, character was the kind of overriding theme, I think, of that show. We booked wrestlers that, that had quite defined gimmicks. Um, there was the, the, the women's four-way main event, which was really, again, like you can see some of the kind of early um, signs and traces of what Resurgence would later become in, in that one show. Um, and it, but again, it was it was funded, so we had less risk. We didn't. The tickets were free again, but we we chopped, we packed in more visitors. I think we had 120, maybe 110 in that show. Um, so it was it was getting to, towards more like what you can expect from Resurgence. So now, um, but Spandex Ballet was the one was the big one. That was September um, 2018. So I want to start by having a chat about that. Um, so maybe. John, do you want to do you want to talk a little bit around Spandex Ballet? Yeah, I mean, my 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 first kind of proper memories of trying to put that show together was um, me, you, and Pete sat in the pub with different wrestlers' names written on cue cards and moving them around to try and work out what the show should be. And we probably and then because we were <laughs> we were having a pint or two at the same time. We had to keep photographing what the card was so we didn't forget what that looked like as we kept moving it around. Um, so by the end of, I think by the end of the night, we ended up with kind of like four different versions of what we thought the show would be. Um, and then in, in typical us style, can continue to debate them um, on, a, on the WhatsApp group throughout the next day to the point where I think we ended up doing something completely different to what we thought the show was going to look like. Um, and just um, like you say, it being a really big, a big leap because we were going from a hundred or so free tickets to going, oh, and, but now you've got to part with your money. I think the tickets were like 15, 16 pounds. Uh, and a sellout was about, 225 it felt like a, a huge leap from from may but we'd given ourselves um a very good run-up to it as well yeah there was so before we i want to delve into a couple of moments because each of us suggested a moment from within that show that was like one of their most memorable moments so we'll, we'll go to that in a second um but just setting up spandex ballet a bit like you've alluded to the there was a lot of pressure um, financially to, to sell that show out and we'd probably overbooked, which became a kind of theme of the early you shows. You guys always overbook. That it, is like, this is a thing that Resurgence yeah. does. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't the peak of your booking fever, which <laughs> I think was uh, Spinal Graps. But I, I think the, the, the four-way, the women's four-way that we opened with, I think we... we booked and lost about eight different people for that match. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it ending up with, with Kanji being one of the la a really last-minute replacement into that four-way, which obviously became a really important part of um, various different story arcs that stemmed from that. Um, so yeah, like booking fever <laughs> is definitely real. Anyone that's <laughs> promoted a wrestling show is probably aware of it, um, booking too many people. 
Um, and, but also like we, we were really lucky because um, we got uh, another arts council grant. So that was, uh, and this is, this is sort of where. And a Loughborough grant as well, actually at that point, yeah. right? Like, yeah. So there was, there was, there was a little, there was kind of a, there was kind of an interesting kind of pot of money swimming around, I guess, to hopefully alleviate some of that anxiety. Yeah. About, yeah. I think, and I think that's definitely like a, a right, an overriding theme of resurgence. And one of its real strengths has been that, academic base that or that not necessarily academic base but that professional base that we had that we'd established over those first two shows because like i said the start of that summer pete john and i had put our own money against that show and by halfway through that summer uh, claire had had been awarded the the grant from loughborough and i'd been awarded an arts council grant for the project so we you know we went from a position of our, our own financial risk into one where you know, we we really firmly established that show as being um, stable and building a platform for the future, and it was all based on 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 a, on this blending of commercial and academic and professional. So, the just because we did taken that decision to become a commercial enterprise didn't mean that um, we couldn't still have that kind of academic or that public interest that had built the company in the first place. So like Claire was written immediately, like when we write those Arts Council applications, it was like, oh, Claire, Claire will lead a QA. and um, you know, the, these are our different credentials in terms of working in the arts and things like that. Um, so that, that was really, really cool. And there was, and also there was a point where um, going into that show where suddenly tickets just started to sell. Uh, I remember being at a House of Pain show a few, maybe three or four weeks before with Pete um, with a load of flyers and Pete was just during that whole show we'd, we'd been to fly the show because we were getting we we're getting pretty desperate for ticket sales weren't we at one point John um, yeah but just I think the, the few days leading up to that show me and Pete were there and he, Pete was just looking at his phone the whole time he was just kept showing me he was like oh there's no one gone there's no one gone and it was just like within the space of two days or something we sold the last 50 or 60 tickets and it was a real like real uh, adrenaline rush I think um but anyway so Spandex Ballet, like, um, Claire, do you want to talk about commentary? Because one of your sort of standout memories that you said was working with Joe on commentary, and that was your commentary <laughs> debut. Yeah, yeah. So funnily enough, I was thinking about this. Funnily enough, I can remember almost nothing about the show other than feeling like, I mean, it was a great show. And when I look back on it, I can remember it quite well. But like at the time, I just remember kind of, kind of almost kind of gripping the edge and, and going for it, really. I'd had no experience of commentary at all. Uh, I was glad Joe was there. Obviously, as we already said in the first part of this, like Joe and I had known each other for a number of years by that point, and I'd seen him perform, and um, and yeah, we just kind of got a, got quite, quite a fun kind of relationship going. So I felt like much better that he was there as well, and um, and I think like you do that thing, uh, and I think we've maybe got better at it. I think probably I'll leave you guys to say it, but like. Um, the first show, I feel like you're just trying to cram everything in all the time because you want to kind of fill fill all all space with sound. <laughs> and so I remember, like, I remember trying to think ahead in in um, in, in what I was saying. And then, um, and I, I I'm pretty I'm pretty sure that it was G Man working this. Year. In fact, I'm absolutely sure it was. And like, and him giving us some good advice about it because I think we were both like pretty nervous, but. Um, yeah, I remember the, my abiding memory of that of that show from the commentary position is thinking, "Man, this venue is massive," and like looking out over over the crowd and just being like, "Wow, it's just it's just huge. It's such a kind of and and, and being quite kind of slightly starstruck by that by that feeling of having to 
provide some sort of narrative for, for what was going on in front of us I think um but I, I I super enjoyed it I was just I I think because again like comes back to kind of the comment made in the first part about like being risk averse like that is me so like I'm not a massive fan of like anything that I think oh I'm totally gonna fall flat on my face here um but but we kind of went for it anyway and I I again just I'm very grateful to Joe for kind of taking always sort of taking the lead in such a wonderful way and um in that he's he's is such a joy to kind of work with on the commentary it's good for, we have a we have a lot of we do a lot of laughing like that aren't, isn't necessarily kept in like we we have quite a lot of moments where we kind of have to take headphones off and kind of laughing to ourselves about stupid stuff that we've said or like yeah just some just some really fun moments so it's good it's good fun like it's great to, to kind of work with him and to and to have his professionalism on that is really cool and then John, you picked out um, in particular from this show um, the debut of Spike Trevay. So, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say as well about about the commentary, Claire. I mean, we, we, me and Sam and Pete, we we didn't ask you to to audition to be to be <laughs> no. to be a commentator, but we did with Joe. Yeah. <laughs> so there is that. I remember Joe. Um, he sent us uh, he sent us a audio file, didn't he, Sam, of, of him commentating on one of the May shows to give us an idea of what he'd be like over the top. And then, uh, yeah, just I remember that as being a really funny moment in like the trying to work out what what spandex ballet would, would look like. Um, but yeah, the the Spike Trevay's, um kind of appearance at the end of the show kind of came came around for us quite quickly didn't it? I think you, you've spoken um, to, to Spike about this in, in the last podcast so I won't kind of go into it in too much but um, I just remember the, the three of us having a conversation about how the show is going to end and us being really clear that we wanted to give people a reason to want to buy a ticket for the November show um, and that's where kind of the, the idea which um you know i credit I cre there, there's lots of very good things in spandex ballet that i, I credit you with sam including yeah, um nice. coming like together with the idea of, of art core as well which i mm -hmm. i really distinctly remember as as coming from you in conversation um and then like very quickly having a chat with spike because we we knew that he was going to be around as well and the turnaround of um, the video that we projected, which seemed to all be done within like two days. <laughs> uh, and then, um, uh, I mean, and that, uh, that was probably the point where, um, where I was the most nervous that I'd been about anything in resurgence up to that point, because everything up to that point had been um, lights come on, music plays, wrestler en enters and it, it felt like it all followed a pattern whereas this was very much we need to plan for the lights to fade the thing to come on the screen spike needs to be in a particular place the lights need to come up at a particular time um and it felt like there was a lot riding on that moment in terms of um wanting to hook people to come and see us again and it played out perfectly it played out really well and like listening back to it on on commentary where joe just completely loses his mind and i think yeah. his last words uh, on commentary are, were, are something like i don't even know whether i still have a job 
or something <laughs> like that. It's just, uh, yeah, but one of my absolute like favourite things to go back and listen to. Because I should say that Joe and I, as far as I can remember about this, didn't actually know that this was happening. So we got to the end of the show and then suddenly like there was Spike Gervais and, and both of us were a bit like, what are we, what are we calling? <laughs> like, and so it was just, it's, listening back on that is really funny because I think you can hear, but like the, the, the kind of sense of panic in our voices is absolutely legit. Like, like both of us had no idea what we were doing at this point at all. I would literally calling, and then Joe and I do that. I, I, I should say, like, we do that a little bit, anyways. Like, we often, we will sometimes say to you, "Don't tell us the end," which is kind of an irritating trope, I'm sure. But, um, but it's it's nice to be able to kind of call it. But uh, that one was just, it, I think, it was the first time that we'd done a kind of "what is going on" moment on commentary. So, um, yeah, I remember that quite well. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, I think the big, the, the only error that we made in that was that, um, from a commentary perspective, is that I didn't tell, I, I didn't tell Joe, or I didn't think to tell you and Joe who Spike Trevay was. No, that's right. <laughs> so whilst I like firmly stand by not telling you what was going to happen, because the reaction was great, it was, when we listened to it back, it was like, oh crap, they don't actually know who he is. So you don't say, no you, you don't say Spike Trevay at no. any point in the reaction. Not at all. We were just like, who is this guy and what is he doing to resurgence? So, so actually, we, in, a, in some senses, we had a kind of legitimate fan reaction to it. Like some people in the crowd knew who he was, obviously, because he was like a name by that stage. But I would imagine just given our kind of mixed audiences that there were lots of people who didn't. And so we kind of just responded in a like, a, who is this guy? And why is he come to take over resurgence sort of mm. a way? Which, which I think works well. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It would have been good to go, oh, look, it's Mike Trevay, which <laughs> we didn't do at all. Yeah. Yeah, and then I know John's just taking a little uh, uh, break. Um, I'm sure he'll be back in a second. But I, he's his point about risk was genuinely terrifying because I'm, as as you know, normally I'm on a kind of tech position when it comes yeah. to these shows. And I remember that that whole day. I think I came. I was away on my honeymoon the two weeks prior to it, and I think I'd come come back from Mauritius the day before or something like that. And I spent that whole day just running around like a complete mad person I like I just remember it being the most tight one of the most tiring experiences of my life I've loved my professional life and just having because because you know to an extent I assume a sort of project management role on on the day so there was just a lot of like coordinating people like you need to be here like the ring the wrestlers juggling I had about, it felt like a thousand people asking me a thousand questions throughout that day, um, constantly. And then being with Jim, who, who is the kind of tech technician from Nottingham Contemporary, being on the balcony and because we had so little time because the setup took so long, we were, we were literally, um, calling the show on the fly in terms of like lighting, sound cues. We it was all like by the seat of our pants and right up until that, that video at the end, which was like, we, we don't know if this is going to work with Jim. I'm relying on Jim and myself to, to, to just queue it up and hopefully it will work. Cause like you said, John, if that if we'd messed that up, that would have been disastrous. Like yeah. it really would have been. Um, and I remember after we, after the show, once, once the, the lights have gone back out and the, the exit playlist started me and Jim hugging each other and just like jumping up and down and on the balcony. This is Jim who has no connection to resurgence other than the fact that we've booked Nottingham contemporary <laughs> and then, and also wrestlers on the balcony as well. And it was just, yeah. uh, it was one of those where again, I, I mentioned earlier, the adrenaline is very, very real and it is very, very addictive. Mm. Um, 
so that's my kind of abiding like memory of that of that show really um so then to so the next one on our on our list um I'll, I'll mention art course separately i think we'll come back to that because we, we'll talk a little bit about some of the sort of silly gimmicks and things that we've done at resurgence um so the next one on my list is uh claire you mentioned seeing the belt for the first time yeah uh, like i think quite quickly seeing the belt one, i just thought like we were having a good time <laughs> I thought like, well, we have had a good time, but like I just yeah, it was just and then I think just seeing the belt for the first time and like there's a there's a picture of me that Wes took of me like with the belt over my shoulder with like a serious kind of aggressive face, which I don't do very well anyways. But like I I, I kind of look at that picture a bit and just think, wow, this was a kind of amazing moment where I think for me it was like, oh, this is a wrestling company. Oh right, okay, yeah, cool. And and I think for me, that was, a, that was one of those moments, you know, as I said, like maybe in the last bit, like there are these moments which suddenly make you go, oh man, what did we do? And, and for me, that was one of those where you saw the belt for the first time, which just looks so beautiful. You guys had just chosen this amazing, just gorgeous design. It just looked stunning. It was really original. It looked terrific. And I think just like holding that and um, feeling its weight and it, yeah, it just, it just was very, it was kind of an amazing moment. Yeah, it's really special. Great. Um, yeah, there was definitely, uh, I'm not going to lie, when, we, when that belt arrived, I spent a significant amount of time walking around my house wearing the belt. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, yeah, and it is that like, it feels real. When, once you've got a belt, you're definitely a real wrestling company. Yeah. Um, then, so the next one is the, a number of us mem- remembered in different ways, but particularly you, Claire. Um, so maybe I'll just start and then I'll let you talk about this one. Uh, which was the the Loughborough show in June um, 2019. Uh, Luff, uh, this was at Loughborough University at the um, Martin Hall Theatre, um, which is sort of managed and run by LU Arts. And um, that show, the, the memory that I have of that show, again, is another balcony one, because I'm always on the balcony. And I mentioned this in the previous podcast, but I think it's it's something that I think, that I, that I find really exciting about wrestling, is watching wrestlers watch wrestling as it happens live. So up on that balcony, we had um, Chris Brooks, we had the Aussie Open tag team and Gabe Kidd watching that Loughborough show. They'd all obviously finished their matches. They'd ordered pizza. They were, they were eating pizza <laughs> up on the balcony. And just some of their reactions to the Gene Money Spike Gervais match were brilliant. Um, Spike took, um, no, Charles, our referee, took a splash from Gene off the top rope. Both the Aussie Open guys like jumped out of their chairs at that. Um, and then when Gabe, when um, Gene actually won the belt, um, which we've, we've said in the interview with Jean there was a lot of kind of surprise no one necessarily knew that that was going to happen and yeah Gabriel Kidd shirt off swinging it around his head jumping up and down (laughs) and it just there's there's something about when it's one of my favorite experiences of watching wrestling um through resurgence is when I'm there with other other wrestlers watching it and they're kind of enjoying it just as much as fans as they are professionals um moments like um the second Charlie Evans kanji match the balcony was uh, not in contemporary was just literally full of wrestlers. They were standing up the stairs watching. Um, and the same when, when Charlie won the title in March, again, just the entire balcony full of wrestlers watching kind of appreciating what was going on. Um, that's, yeah, that's something that I'll, I'll never get kind of tired or bored of. Um, so Claire, you, you mentioned Loughborough for a number of different reasons. So I wonder whether you could give us your kind of memories from that Loughborough show being your have- home venue. 
Yeah, so that was part of it. I was, again, I, I keep thinking I was saying I'm nervous all the time. I'm not actually a very nervous person, but this one I was nervous for because it was my home venue. I've been at Loughborough by that stage about a year. So I was still a really new member of staff and kind of trying to, trying to be... Um, and I, I remember just thinking, oh, like, like this is this a bet? This had better go down well with everyone. And I'd invited a bunch of people to come along to that show, including all my third years, who had an absolutely brilliant time. They'd finished performing that week their own performance, and then they all came along to the show, which was great. But um, yeah, my abiding—I have one kind of abiding memory from before the show, which was that we met with the caterers at Loughborough to discuss um, what we would need in the cafe for all these wrestling fans coming. And it was a sellout show and it was a big crowd. John will probably know how many people were there because he knows the stats, but um, it felt huge to me. Um, and, um, and so I met with the caterers beforehand and sort of said, look, there'll be, a, there'll be a lot of people and they'll probably be quite thirsty. So just bear in mind. And about a week before I went back into the cafe and Sam, I think you were there, for, were you here for that, for that meeting? So we went back into the cafe and, um, and we had a chat with the caterers who were just lovely about everything. They were absolutely brilliant the whole way through. And she's like, well, I've got like 20 bottles of rosé and about 12 cans of beer. And I'm like, ooh, <laughs> I think maybe you'll need to like times that by at least 10. And this poor lady's face, I thought she was going to go nuts. But they totally pulled it together and it was great. And then afterwards, um, after the show had been over and stuff like that, and the next day I went into the cafe, like the Monday afterwards, just to buy a coffee and she was like we had such a good time on that night so good we loved it everyone when are you coming back and you basically then looked at the bar bill and been like wowzers that is, <laughs> how much beer did we sell so we managed to pull it off eventually but i thought the idea of like wrestling fans like sipping sipping rosé was just just made me made me laugh uh, so i have that as an abiding memory i also have as an abiding memory um so i because this is my home venue I'd, be, I'd, I'd like, I really, really want to kind of impress people. And so as I had the Dean of our school, Mike Wilson, the professor of our school, I was like, right, I, I'm going to get him a front row seat. Like, you know, he's going to watch this in the best seat possible. It's going to be great. And I'm sitting just behind him on commentary because the commentary position was actually on the floor and just behind, just behind him. And this is, I, and I'm sure it was during the art call match. It must've been during the art call match. And, um, and Chris Brooks, who's like a sizable chap really, um, kind of, got flung out of the ring and landed like squarely on Mike's lap. And it looked, if you look back over that, it looks horrendous. It looks like he takes him out. And I'm sitting behind him like going, oh my goodness, like I've just, he's just killed the Dean. Like I'm supposed to be impressing people what is going on. And so all the way through the rest of that first half, I'm like kind of quite nervous thinking, oh, what is he going to say? Like I put him front row. I went up to him at half time and said, Mike, are you all right? Like, you know, it looked bad. And, and his, um, his quote, which Sam and I quoted back at him since then, actually, is like, he just went, it was just like being stroked with a feather. It was like being stroked with a feather. I don't know how he did it. And basically, like Chris has got such good, like embodied control of like his physicality that he was able to stop himself. Like, but it looked horrendous, but it actually was super light. So again, it kind of, for me, it always shows how wrestlers are just in control of their bodies in ways that I would normally associate with like performance people and like physical, physical performers. So, um, so yeah, I remember that. And then the, my final abiding memory of the show is like, it's really, really late at night. And, um, and I'm cleaning banana and crayons off the floor of Martin Hall thinking, this was a really good idea in theory and in practice, it's so <laughs> grim. <laughs> like, 
I remember trying to get it all sorted so that no one would moan at me. And the security guards are getting grumpy because it's like half 11 at night. And oh, it's very, very funny. And I, yeah, I just remember, I remember kind of the smell of bananas mixed with crayons. If you haven't watched the art call match, you won't know what I'm talking about, but there's, there's fruit, fruit and crayons are part of that match. And um, I just remember thinking, this is, this is not what we signed up for. <laughs> But yeah, it was it was an amazing night and it all went really, really well. It was great. One of the, the high quality uh, kind of resurgence moments on that show was we decided to start the show with Artcore. So as people were coming in, we were setting up everything for the Artcore match and then made the decision that it wasn't going on first, but yeah. it was going on before the break. So then we all started taking it apart again and putting it away. And it just must have looked like... We it was just, just like a Samuel Beckett play. Like, like, like we would like we set we it get, all up and then took it all away again. That we were getting it. everything out to like as a stock take to make sure that we had everything <laughs> for that It wasn't that wasn't a creative decision. That was because the Hunter Brothers were late, and Chris Brooks was yeah. with the Hunter Brothers, so we had to uh, rearrange the matches. <laughs> and I, I went backstage and asked um, Gabe and Sadie if they'd be happy to go on first, and they were just like, "Yeah, of course, not a problem." I was like, "Oh, I thought that was going to be like." such a major worry but i just absolutely super chilled about it uh so that yeah kind of brings me on to the next one so um one thing that both me and you john uh, mentioned was our kind of um I, i'm not i'd say maybe success like our, our relative success in terms of um actually having stuff like pitching stuff and actually having it on the shows because 90% of the content is really down to the wrestlers. Like we give wrestlers a lot of freedom to come up with, with the ideas and tell the stories. And really all we do is put them in pairs and, you know, arrange the orders of the cards. Um, but there have been instances which are kind of resurgence creations. So I, I was thinking um, we'll just have a, a quick run through a few of them. Um, Cause they, they stand out for me as, as kind of really satisfying memories. And all of them tend to, to tend to gravitate around comedy. I was wondering first, um, you, you mentioned uh, the meat raffle, the in, infamous meat-free meat, meat <laughs> raffle of de- December 2019, and also um, Maka table tennis um, tournament. So, yeah, can you talk yeah, into those I, briefly? Yeah, I mean, the meat raffle, I think it was something... I think you and, you and Pete had come round to my house, and I just dropped it into conversation that it was something that I was looking at. I was like, oh, I've just been thinking about um, uh, the... Steve's obsession with 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 the meat raffle and just say I'm just looking at stuff on Amazon uh, and trying to find things that are kind of meat related and I think we should do it and it was like yeah just go for it and and like the worst thing that you can do um, online is look for random stuff because then all of your sponsored ads become random things so I had a period of time where I like all my sponsored ads on Facebook and stuff were just like meat related pencil cases and socks and hats and things like this um but it all came together like really easily i think like the henchman uh boy was like the the best booking they'd ever had because we essentially just asked them to turn up and be faux butchers for 10 minutes and that was it uh and it and it just worked really well i know that um there's always been a lot of scepticism about whether it was fixed or not because of um, Steve winning the, the grand prize, but there was just so many people involved. I, like, I'm not smart enough to pull that kind of thing off. 
and it was it was unbelievable uh, it was absolutely unbelievable that that worked like that because it uh, you know there was nothing there's nothing fixed about it and yet he still won absolutely perfect perfect moment Uh uh-huh I think there's something something about the that I remember about the meat raffle as well is um, not not to make this too serious because obviously it was a meat free meat raffle, but the I'm always bowled away by how well rounded wrestlers are as performers. So like the henchmen, like there's there's not really they are performative, they are larger than life characters, but to to, to to base what you see them do on the ring and then expect them to go and do something like that meat raffle, which is really more like a stand-up kind of sketch routine. But to do it so, so well, I, I'm always just bowled away by like how how versatile wrestlers are in terms of their ability to perform in different kind of contexts. Because there was no zero wrestling involved. They were just hosting a raffle, but it was just really wildly entertaining. Yeah. Yeah, it's a shame we don't have uh, the footage of the meat free meat raffle. I'd like to watch that back. Yeah, uh, and I can't remember how the table tennis stuff came about. I think we just we really wanted to do something with with Mac and Moser that got them closer to the fans, and so we just came up with this idea that they would lead. I think we we had them down that they would lead the the pre show. I think originally it was in like just any any game so it was like bring i think the original idea was people could bring their games and play them against macamosa um but then we've all, always had at attenborough these table tennis um tables knocking around because they're they're used for for gallery installs and things like that um and we just decided to go for it and it was just so much fun like we probably could have done a, ho- a whole show with no actual wrestling and just fans playing table tennis against different wrestlers, everyone just seemed to love it. Yeah, no, that was that was a definitely a fun one and a really good way of ingratiating a team into into kind of fans and fit, you know getting getting a team telling a story with a team without actually wrestling again, which is yeah. you know the same with the henchman. It does wonders for kind of fan engagement, you know, and there's no risk involved. Um, yeah, and then I've got I've got a couple along these lines of, of gimmick things. So one that I'm particularly proud of was the um, the metal detector spot in the Spinal Graps scramble match with um, with Los Federales Santos Junior, um, inspired by the movie Spinal Tap. So the the gimmick is that um, Santos t- uh, has a metal detector with him and um, re- reenacts the scene from Spinal from Spinal Tap. Um, at the airport um so one of the wrestlers has a has a cucumber hidden away <laughs> in a in their pants essentially um and santos had to try and find the cucumber um which again it's just yeah sounded super daft um but got a really good reaction um especially when the person that had the cucumber um struck santos over the head with the cucumber because that's 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 the twist obviously because it's wrestling someone's going to get you know, it's going to descend into an act of violence. Like that's that's always going to be the, you know, the the punchline essentially. Um, but we, I do. We kind of had fruit or veg in the ring every show <laughs> up until that point as well, so it had to make an right. appearance at some point. <laughs> yeah. But when the other thing that people won't be aware of is um, when uh, I didn't know who had the cucumber, um, and as the wrestlers are making their way to the ring. Um, I'm obviously speculating like, okay, so right, who's got the, who's doing the cucumber gimmick? <laughs> and um, I'm sure he won't mind me saying this, but I was, I was basically convinced that it was Big Grizzly that had the cucumber, um, but it wasn't, it was OJMO. 
So yeah, so there we go, putting over Big Grizzly as well in the corner. <laughs> um, then yeah, the last one was um, probably and the most infamous one, I guess, is Artcore. Um, so I wonder, Claire, whether you could talk us through your abiding memories of the of the first Artcore match, because um, I think it was the moment that that you and Joe actually sort of relaxed into your commentary role. Um, yeah, and it was also the moment I think that the show really that whole spandex ballet show i think art core was so important to that whole show so yeah agreed um i so i i think my abiding memory of that of that whole match firstly it was just like it was all quite silly and there were a lot of canvases in the ring as i recall and a lot of easels and um, i just remember like constantly the easels being used as like as various weapons like it was just and i I think my abiding memory of that of that whole, in fact, both art cores in some ways, is really about how the wrestlers dealt with something that was so kind of silly and ridiculous that they had never done before, and yet they just sort of automatically got into it and it was fine. Like, um, yeah, there's some, the, yeah. So I, I think it was, I think it was the way that they were able to deal with the props and and kind of descend into chaos and yet do it in a kind of really uh, kind of safe way. Because I was. I was quite nervous about the thought of easel, <laughs> easels in the ring. Um, like, I, cause I always have kind of a safety thing in my head all the time. Cause I always think, oh man, if somebody actually really, really got injured here, what and I think kind of adding props always kind of freaked me out a little bit, always still freaks me out a bit. Um, so yeah, I think, I think just like, like, yeah, that, that, sen- that, that sense of like, how, how, you, how you use props effectively in wrestling, I think was the thing that really stays with me from that, particularly from the first one. The second one was a bit different because the second one just, I just remember the smell of banana. But the first one, that was certainly how I remember that, that Artcore match. Yeah, I can't, I, I'm trying to remember how we came up with Artcore. We, not... we, had, we had had like, we were going to do like this big kind of um, schmozzy match and we just didn't know how to frame it. And I remember Literally you saying, it. like, we we need something which is which is more about like us being like artistic or something. And you you just went for it, and you're like, we, and I think you sent it. It was like we should call it Artcore, and then it was like, well, we'll stick a load of art materials in the ring and just see what happens. And I think I think some of the wrestlers were expecting it to be a bit deeper than it just yeah. being <laughs> art materials, and that's why they got into it. Yeah. Like, oh, well, if I've got all of this, I might as well start drawing. But yeah, it is essentially a h- hardcore match with, um, with with crayons. There is that. And it's got the, it's a bit like the metal detector spot. Like, because you, the, the punchline is always going to be the point at which it stops being a life drawing. Like, because it's, it's a scene, isn't it? You've set a scene, which is just ridiculous. Like wrestlers in a ring about to do a life drawing class. And in the first one, not even a model. Like there was, what are they even drawing? <laughs> Sat around drawing each other. At least yeah. in the second one, we gave them like a sort of um, still life that they could, that they could yeah. pretend to draw. But the 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 the, the punchline is always just that it descends into chaos because it's wrestling, mm-hmm. and it it comes back to the fact that it's wrestling. And the the second one in particular, I thought was really brilliant because Spike, Spike and Kara being Spike and Kara, they just got that and they did it perfectly. The Spike just takes a crayon has a little it's proper like secondary school has a little look at Kara just flicks flicks the crayon hits him on the back of the head with the crayon and then does it sort of pretends that he's not you know it wasn't him yeah does it again then boom everything kicks off and you don't have to worry about the fact that it was a life drawing class because it becomes a wrestling match 
but yeah, more hardcore matches, that would be good. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah, okay, so moving on, um, just in keeping a mind, bit mindful of time, um, <laughs> I want to go to the Iron Woman show um, from August 2019, and not so much talk about Iron Woman because we've, we've got, we've kind of covered that in a lot of other different areas. Um, but I wondered whether the, what the two of you kind of felt about that show um, as a whole, and like, is there anything about that show that you, you feel like you haven't kind of talked about that you want, want to kind of, I know John, you, you mentioned the two standing ovations. So why for someone who's maybe not familiar with wrestling, why, why in particular did those having a standing ovation stand like, you know, stand out to you? I, I think up until that point, we'd had, we'd had standout moments. I think like in each show you can go, um, that was a highlight of the night or, the fans really enjoyed that. And it, it probably wasn't an, until, I mean, that Iron Woman show is personally my, my favourite show of, that Resurgence have, have put on. And then that the, the first um, kind of standing ovation for, for Gene and Chris, I, I, like the match was amazing, but I, I wasn't expecting that reaction to it. I just thought that people would go, Oh, that's probably going to be match of the night, and and clap it, and it be on its way. And it came, it kind of came from nowhere. And I was like, oh, actually, that thing that I thought was incredible, everyone else in the room thinks it was incredible as well. And it was a, it was a real, um, it was just a like a real high point for for me in terms of how we'd been working, because uh, you know I am the kind of person who wants to make sure that everyone's enjoying themselves. And I think that's why I enjoy working the door as well, because I get to know the people who are coming in and I get to speak to them as they come and leave. So for them to, to all kind of appreciate the thing in, this, in the same way that I was meant a lot to me. Mm. And then there was kind of like that, oh, well, nothing, nothing can follow that. And that's going to be the match of the night. And then it pretty, pretty much the whole of the second half as well were I mean there was there was Spike and Harry, there was Jade and Derice, and there was the Iron Woman match, which ended with a with a standing ovation as well. And I just I, I like I know you've spoken a little bit about like the, the feelings of exhilaration like half of the show. I've probably not had that up until that point. I feel like that a show finishes and I start tidying up and I probably don't start thinking about it properly again for a couple of days and I, I could not sleep that night because I was just looking at stuff online going oh this person has said this about it this person's posted a picture or oh, need to screenshot and save that I've still like and I've still got pretty much every single comment about that show on my phone because it was just such a, a high for me yeah one of the things i was quite interested in when um, me and Claire were planning the interview with Spike the other day. It was um, I asked Spike to send send us some kind of some of his favourite matches, and um, Harry and Spike was one of them. Um, it was it was Kara and Spike the first match they had in Resurgence with with Kara, and then the other one was Spike and Harry. And it did make me think a lot about the match. We we talk a lot about Brooks and Jean. We talk a lot about Iron Woman, but there were one of the reasons that that card that card was actually full of really quite pivotal moments for different performers 
Harry, that was a really pivotal moment for Harry because he came, came out with a new kind of look for that match with Spike. But also, he'd, and I spoke to him about this, he'd, he'd, he changed up what he did. He'd had advice and feedback from a couple of prominent wrestlers about um, urgency and intent. And he had tried to really incorporate that into his match. And it really comes across when you rewatch that match, his sort of, um, his attempt to get after the match, to, to chase it and look like he's really wanting and his desire to win it. You can see that in that match for the first time. And he carries it through into the match with Doris later in the year. So it was a really important night for, it's, it's easy to forget, I think, that, that it was, you know, it was a really important night for, for Harry. It was a really important night for Shikara as well, because Shikara stepped in um, to take over Candy Floss's spot and wrestle Connor Mills and had another, you know, Shikara sends this one when, when, you, when I've asked Shikara to send favorite matches, it's um, her and Mills. Um, and then Makamosa as well, who've become, um, who, who were in the process of becoming real kind of staples just before lockdown. And really, their the decision to renew them as a tag team was a, a little bit of a gamble because they did, the match that they had at Spinal Graps wasn't really of huge significance. But that bringing them back together and putting them in with the henchmen, which produced a really great comedy match, just I mean, that, there wouldn't be Macamosa without that match. So it's really interesting these kind of um, how important that show was in terms of the long term development of for resurgence. Yeah, completely. Um, so the next memory I want to um, go on to, we've, we've talked about funding awards and things like that, so I won't dwell on that one. Um, Claire, uh, everything patterned. So we've, we've moved forward a couple of months now, and this is a different one for you because you were sat in the audience as a spectator. Yeah, I and I, I could, had, yeah. I, well, I, I, this for me is one of the absolute standout shows of Resurgence history because, well, partly because I I just rocked up as a fan um, and it was just such a, a joy to be able to, to do that. And um, I was sitting there with, um, with actually a colleague from Loughborough, interestingly, and her son, who was just loving it, absolutely loving it. Like, and I think that made a huge difference to me. And I was surrounded by like resurgence fans who I knew by that point, And it was just a really good community. And just like watching this show, like, it was such an it was such an important show, like um, just in terms of what it was trying to do. Not not just like it was a beautiful show aesthetically and and um, in terms of its athleticism. It was just a, just a terrific show across the board. It's brilliant, but I think the kind of political, so the kind of socio political importance of that show can't really be underestimated. And I remember the end of that show, like kind of everyone around me like standing up with me included to kind of uh, do kind of standing ovation to these amazing wrestlers and all of them coming back into the ring and like you know this was i i i don't know this for absolute fact but i think it is probably the first all person of color card in wrestling I, i'm not totally sure about that but i've never heard of it done before and i just thought it was the most it it was like in fact i remember i even talked about that i remember feeling quite emotional about it and being like i um, I'm so I'm so pleased to be here to watch this and to um, be just a, kind of just an audience part of this incredible event and to celebrate these amazing uh, people of color wrestling. And I think for me, it's had a kind of um, even stronger. It had a strong effect at the time, and I think it's had a stronger effect over the past year as we've come through and are still coming through the Black Lives Matter movement and everything that's happened this year. And I, I look back on that show. And look back on the images of that show and the, and and i think for me the kind of abiding thought is, is like the joy at the end it was just like 
so much joy and and yeah i i think it's it's, it's kind of even gained importance over the past year for me i think it was nice because like whenever we've been at a show like everyone's so positive when they arrive and chatting and catching up and it felt and even like at the start of when we started arriving that day felt another level above that and like telling everyone that we we'd sold out part way through everyone arriving and, and celebrating that and it was like the, it was almost like kind of a, a mini party atmosphere mm. the the whole evening that then spilled into like this this celebration at, like right at the end of the show yeah i think that picks up on something really really interesting about that show that is that, that really makes it stand out as a show for me was that when we when we when we create these shows and put these shows together and the wrestlers arrive it's really kind of our baby like it's 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 i'm aware you know there, there are wrestlers that we work with on a regular basis that really care about resurgence and want to do right by resurgence but overwhelmingly like it's it's us it's our it's our show our product it means more to us than the wrestlers i think in most instances whereas everything patterned because it was roy's show and we'd given him that um we'd worked with him to you know to create something that really was his vision there was it just felt like a different dynamic backstage like it felt like everyone was there with a with a for a reason for a purpose and everyone was kind of equally invested which is something i'm not sure will ever necessarily experience again like that everyone every single one of those wrestlers in that locker room and i would love to have been in the locker room unfortunately i wasn't because i was on on the tech position um before before the show started um there was just a, just a sense of like collective um passion and, and and that's really quite powerful i think when when something like that happens and it's, it's very rare if not it's possibly the only time i've experienced it on that sort of scale when you have that amount of people really you know knowing what they knowing what they are what they want to achieve and setting out and going and achieving it um and it was the first time like I've always been convinced and, and we started, I think, to show this in the first two shows that we did that we've already spoken about. This idea that wrestling can not just be an entertainment form in its own right, but it can reach out beyond the confines of wrestling and speak to issues at, at large, like any other kind of art form can do. And it was probably the first time that, you know, we've, we've seen that really start to be manifest, that wrestling can, can actually, this is wrestling and this is what it's got to say about the world around us. And I thought that was really... So, and, and Claire, you, you picked up on this kind of lasting legacy and it's, it's the show that has that and it's the, show, it's the only show that will continue to have that because of it being, not just because of it being the first in fact, but just be, you know, because of what was created. And it's, it, it really does, like, you know, if, if anyone wants to argue the case for why wrestling is art, then that show is just the perfect example because you can have something like um, Black Lives Matter over the summer and you can look at, you know, the, the wrestlers that were sharing like matches and photos during the peak of um, terribleness that was going on in America. And they're, they're you know, using this thing that, that was created through wrestling to, to speak about that. And I think it was just really, really something really exceptional. Um, yeah. I don't know. Anyone got any more, any more to add on that? That was well summed up, Sam. Yeah. Um, and it's, an, it's another one that I hope we'll be able to do again in the future. Like we, uh, people won't, and this is when we, we started with Hopes for the Future, and people won't necessarily know this, but we, we put quite a lot of work in this summer uh, ourselves and, and Roy towards making an Everything Pattern 2 happen. Our hope was um, in October 
of this year that we were able we were going to be able to do a no fan show that we were going to be able to covid test all of our wrestlers and produce a kind of tv series um of everything patent but unfortunately that we just couldn't make the the logistics and the um the, the safety and the risk assessments work um to be able to pull that off we had the funding in place to do it um there was definitely the desire on the part of attenborough center as an organization to support it um so it's, it's definitely we are very firmly i think committed to, to to rekindling that project when it's safe to do so um yeah should we should we finish quickly then on um i think i've do, do you feel like i've covered all we've covered all of these abiding memories john have you got any more that you want to uh, uh i think in? so yeah I, uh, I mean um yeah i think i think like i, I picked out a, a a few silly moments when i when i sent them through to you like um the kid shouting at TK Cooper that it wasn't a sexy competition. If that was like one of the highlights, I think of, yeah. of that show was just his interaction with, with, with TK. Um, and yeah, I feel like everything's kind of been, being covered up until like the last show. And then, you know, what, what a return might look like. Awesome. We got, um, have you got access to so there was a few fan questions that I think we can do a quick rapid fire on in the last few minutes. Yeah. Uh, let me just call them up. I think there's two that have come through or maybe oh, there maybe there's a few more now. So the first one was, um, will the iron woman tournament that is what that was planned this year be happening next year? I think that's, that's a, uh, yeah. Uh, wow. It's, it's difficult to say with any certainty about anything at the moment, but I, I think it falls into something that we really want to do. Yeah. But it's, yeah, a time yeah. and a place and say, saying definitely next year still feels like <laughs> a, a hurdle. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a world permitting, we would, I think. Uh, there is, um, what other promotions around the world do you all follow and what international talent would you like to bring in? um so i don't I, I wouldn't say that i like follow exclusively any one company like to the point where i you know i watch and consume everything that they do i dip in a bit of a in and out of a bit of aew um but yeah not and i dip in a, in and out of um indie stuff as and when i kind of see it but i don't know I, I i struggle a little bit with watching wrestling on tv since since resurgence really because i just love the live experience um yeah i, I tend to watch if, if my go-to for watching wrestling tends to be wrestling from the past like early wcw like 80s nwa sort of stuff like that yeah i i with the, with having the network we watch quite a lot of old wwe stuff um I dip into AW, I guess. Um, I've spent a bit of time in Japan, so I like Japanese wrestling. So I wouldn't say that I follow New Japan like seriously, but I enjoy dipping in. And I think the question about like international talent, Tanahashi, Hiroshi Tanahashi, that would be like, I think I would, I would, I, I would be, I, I met him in Japan and I was super starstruck and behaved like a 14 year old girl. So I would like to meet him again and be a little bit more pro than just, I met him in a, in a, this is a silly story, but I met him in a train station after a New Japan show and was so bowled over by it that he, that the conversation went 
And like, I just went over to him and said, hi. And he went, hello. I said, can I have a photo? And he said, yeah. And he just went, I'm Hiroshi Tanahashi. And I said, yeah, I know. And that was it. So like, I would like to be able to do like redeem myself and do a better conversation than that really with him. I think he's an amazing wrestler and I would very much like to work with him. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder who my international ones are. They'd probably be all like quite silly, like um, ex WWE stars and stuff like that. Like, uh, I know Rhino would be really cool. I saw South <laughs> Southside had Rhino last year at some point. Um, someone asked this on Twitter and like Swoggle would be another one. Oh, yeah. um, just because I've just loved some of the stuff that Swoggle has done on the indie scene, like for independent wrestling TV and some of the promotions that they have. So it, w- it would be stuff like that. Rather I've, been than- I've been trying to get better at, at watching more wrestling since our recent conversation, Sam because uh, I haven't been watching a lot um, and I know this isn't international but the one person I'd really like to see in resurgence in the future is Clementine I think that like just seeing if I saw uh, the, the Lucha League match with Aaliyah James I've just finished watching the, the tag match with Medusa Complex um, in EVE and she just feels like someone who's really super talented and would fit in really nicely with what we do mm-hmm. Um, we've got two more questions. One of them I definitely can't answer because um, it's about um, casting wrestlers as different races in Lord of the Rings. And I've never seen Lord of the Rings. So I, I don't know about either of you, but it's definitely something that I, I can't take part in, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, and then on the complete... Uh, flip side of that there's a very serious question as well um around safeguarding that i didn't know if you, if you wanted to take up so this is from uh tom who i know has has come to a lot of resurgence shows and he says but is there any update on how resurgence will be addressing safeguarding when they come back and have you had any contact with the parliamentary group for wrestling and would resurgence support unionization alternatively you can talk about wrestlers as biscuits um yeah i mean i i have actually replied i've replied to tom through twitter as well because on the safeguarding side of things um everything that we've we've kind of put in place so far in response to that is on our website and it's been informed by the um the and An, oh god and croft trust um which is the the kind of leads government lead on safeguarding in sports so they have you know, fantastic resources. So everything that we've kind of put in place so far has been informed by that. So it's grounded in, in the very best practice. And it's one of those things that at the moment it, it's there, but these are policies that, only, that are only valuable once they're actually in use and being you know, enacted. And until we, until we have shows, you know, we, we can't enact them necessarily. So the proof will be in how the, how they function and how we use them once once shows start. But everything's everything's there and ready. I think um, it is something that we will continue to review, especially once we know that that a show is going to come back. We will kind of re- revisit that. Um, so yeah, if you want to check out the website, if it, and if there's any more questions, just feel free to DM us or email us. Yeah, that's kind I of think- the important bit, isn't it? Is like we have got everything we feel in place, but it's not just going to sit there and and cover us in any way the, you know I, we need into our schedule of when that first show is going to be re-familiarizing ourselves with everything and that's not just the three of us but across the team as well 
I think I'd say two things in, to, in response to Tom's question. So I have been in touch with APPG and I gave written evidence and then was asked to give oral evidence. So I gave oral evidence uh, a couple of weeks ago to Parliament about, about wrestling. So yes, is the answer um, I have. I think there's some really good people involved in that trying to do good things. So I'm excited and interested to see what, what will come of that. I think it'll be a long term process, but I kind of... Um, yeah, believe in the folks who are trying to do some good things. And the other thing to say is um, that uh, over the summer, we won a British Academy small grant to do a project on health and well-being in pro wrestling, which didn't, act, strangely, wasn't actually in response to what happened during the summer. It was actually put in before everything that happened in the summer, but, but was kind of strangely opposite for what did happen during the summer. So it's thinking about um, health and well-being more broadly of, of pro wrestling and um, particularly in the UK and thinking about how we could do that better and it's working with so for, for listeners they probably know like Loughborough is sort of world renowned for sports so it's the first time that we've been able to put the kind of globally leading sports science at Loughborough at the uh, hopefully at to help out kind of wrestling and so we're doing some interviews with various wrestlers who we've worked with um, around their kind of health and well-being particularly focusing on things like mental health and concussion uh, and various other things we're also hoping to do some kind of more biomechanical um, study as well so I'm hoping that that project will lead to some some good some good outcomes as well some kind of data sets really that will enable things like the APPG for example to be able to actually have because there's very little data there's a lot of like people talking about health and well-being problems in a broad sense of wrestling, but there's very little actually concrete data. So this is trying to fill a gap. So I'm really hopeful that that will also make a difference. And that directly comes out, it's, you know, it's associated with resurgence. It's an academic project, but it's associated with resurgence. It directly comes out of, of uh, resurgence. Sam is involved in writing articles for it. So, um, so yes, yeah, so it's it, hopefully that also kind of answers that question a little. Mm. And I think as well, like building on on the project that Claire's just described, we, our long term aspiration for resurgence is that it becomes a charitable organisation, and that's still something that we are we will be pursuing in the future. Um, so our our long term aim is to be able to engage and facilitate and be a kind of platform for for projects like the one that Claire's um, been amazing at getting funding for, so that you know that. It, we, we've we've shown that we can get funding for different things that's definitely something that we're kind of firmly committed to and it's one of the ways that resurgence can benefit wrestling as a whole is by being using our expertise expertise to access grants to access academic excellence and then to, to put those to work you know for the benefit of wrestling really seems like a really great positive place to leave everything yeah yeah you know you're not going to delve into the hobbits like, like say uh, i mean i remember uh i remember my dad trying to make me watch lord of the rings and about half an hour in just going all they're doing is walking it's not a film and i've just not i've not touched <laughs> oh john that's... not touched any of it you since. need to give it another go we've watched them quite recently and um, they stand up to scrutiny so yeah not not my style of of, of film afraid it's Star Wars, but just set in the past. Then it's not Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, got, that's I've... where whoever's asked that question's gone wrong. If you'd asked Star Wars, we yeah. probably would have had to have committed a whole like separate episode to John explaining <laughs> what wrestling is our Star Wars, Star Wars characters. That's maybe for another podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah let's end it there. Cool. That was really enjoyable. We've just hit our time cap. So, yeah. 
hope you enjoyed Brilliant. listening. Oh, I've got a dash. Yeah. Yeah. Take Thanks, care, guys. guys. Thanks. I also have to dash, but good to see you both. And yeah. nice to spend the morning, strict afternoon with you chatting. It's all good fun. So, yeah, catch up awesome. soon. Yeah. All right. See Bye. ya. Bye.